Welcome back to The Secret Runner, a bi-weekly podcast in which I'll be talking to an international Ironman competitor, my secret runner, to get training tips and coaching advice for everyday runners like myself to reach their next personal best. At the time of recording, there was just over a week to go until The Secret Runner's long-distance duathlon world championship race, and on the same day, my Bristol 10k. We talk about pre-race plans and I try to learn what I can from a seasoned athlete to make the most of my pre-race preparation. We'll also find out in this week's audience question what the secret runner knows about the Norseman triathlon. So let's get to it. Hello secret runner. Hello Pete. How's it going? It's going well. Are you excited? I am excited, yeah, I've got the, the classic um, mixture of excitement uh, mixed up with, some, I guess, the beginning of some nerves, to be honest, mm. as well. So um, as we are talking now, we are two days away from your, you, you say the title of the race, because I keep saying it wrong. Okay, so um, I guess it's got a couple of names, really. So the, the local name of it is uh, Powerman Zuffingen. Um, and that's the, that's the name of the race, um, but and it, that race has been selected to hold the long distance duathlon world championships. And just remind us the distances that you're going to be running. So it's run, cycle, run. First run ten k, then bike is one hundred and fifty k, and last run is thirty k. I think there's usually a bit of discrepancy above or below with those. So two days, nerves and excitement. More excitement? Yeah, more excitement at the moment. Um, mainly because I've got stuff to do all the time that I've still got things to do. My mind's got something to concentrate on. Um, so it can't just sit and stew and purely get nervous. So this episode, we are just doing a pre-race special and we're going to talk about those preparations, your race plan, and I'll see what I can cherry pick from that because I won't need the same level but but I'm doing my 10k on Sunday but it'll be fun to see what I can lift from what you're going through it will be interesting to see I'd like to see what it is that you think you can cherry pick from mine and then if there's anything that I think I can add on top of that for you just one thing one thing I'll say before we start on that my general process is have good filling food don't eat too much shit two days before and make sure I sleep. That's it. I mean that that's that's a good place to start. To be honest, make sure you're fueled well and make sure that you're well rested. That is the absolute priority, and everything beyond that is just um, finer details of exactly that. So you you pretty much nailed it with that in its simplest form. So, and sometimes when it comes to race day, that's the best way to treat it. Keep everything as simple as possible. So then let's go through. Let's let's hear your preparations. So, um, first of all, uh, you need to create a race plan. You basically want to go over everything uh, before the race, during the race, and after the race. Um, and now that's going to differ depending on all sorts of variables, what kind of race it is you're doing, the length of the race. Like you, for example, your 10K this week. You want to do as well as possible, but it's not your 45-minute goal. I mean, the main points that, to cover off in a race plan is f- starting from that point. What's your race goal? 
So is it that you want to win the race? Is it that you want to finish in the top 10? Is it that you just need a qualifying spot? And your target here is to win the race. Yeah, that is my target. Yeah. Do you go in with the target of win my age group, win overall? Oh, it's a difficult one. So I, I guess my number one priority is to win my age group. I won't get anything extra by winning overall other than the knowledge that I've beaten everyone. So if you're asking me what I'd want, I'd always want to win overall. That's always what I'd like to go for. Yeah, and and you'd still win your age group anyway. Yeah, I'm not going to go out and sacrifice my race to try and win it overall and then wind up blowing up and, and ruining my age group race. If you're if you're quicker than the quickest elite, do you get to wh- beat them or not? Like if, on paper. Mm, so I mean, on paper, yes, I would have beaten them. I would have be- been in a faster faster time than them, but I wouldn't get the prize money that they get. Right. What that would enable me to do, if I beat everyone in that elite race, it would enable me probably to apply for an elite race or a license. And but your plan though is. When your age group, that's what you're focusing on. Absolutely. That's the race that I'm there for. So that's the race that I'm going to win. And then moving on from that, you've got your plan B goal. So always have a plan B goal. Oh, I don't have a plan B. A solid plan B goal f- for me, usually in a race, is if I can't um, if I can't win it, then at least try and get a personal best. Oh, I was thinking you'd say at least get on the podium. But that's much better. Go for a personal best. Yeah. Now, that's somewhat muddy over this sort of distance as well because of... Have you done a long distance duathlon because you used to do sprint duathlon? That's right, yeah. So I've never... This is kind of new to me. So so really, my plan B goal could also be in this sense. It could be um, learn as much as possible, gain experience. Oh, you're so positive. Oh, it sickens me sometimes. <laughs> but 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 that will genuinely be useful. Yeah. Because this race happens every year. Why not gain as much possible? Re- analyze it afterwards. What could I have done better? Oh, I could have done this, this, and this better. Oh, do you know what? I reckon I could pretty much win that, that thing quite easily. Go knowing all that going back next year. So would that be things like? Oh, I know this hill's coming up. So hold back a little. Save it for that, and then you can. Yeah. Could be that sort of thing. Could be nutrition. Could be where you stay. So, so one example of that: the first year I did Ironman Copenhagen, I stayed relatively close to the start, but I still needed to get the subway there. But the like subway station or the metro station that my apartment was near wasn't on the same branch. As where the start line was so I had to go up into the center and then back out again right the next year made it a lot easier made sure I was on that branch I was a bit further away but I cut my travel time down okay that's so much more to it I, I, I kind of get what you mean again it's such a small scale in comparison but it's in Bristol and obviously people that come into Bristol to run will end up parking in the centre and it'll be really hard and expensive and it'll be really busy whereas I know where to park 15 minutes away and then I can have a little light jog there which is perfect. Yeah. So yeah, I do see what you mean. That's all stuff I take for granted because I'm running in... Somewhere you know. Yeah. And, I, and I'm taking that for granted somewhat this time. So, so, so things to cover off. Race goal, plan B goal, travel. Weather, need your race plan to consider the weather. Yeah. Um, that's especially um, 
prominent for my race this weekend. Um, the weather's been really good, nice and not too hot, not too cold. It's been sort of like between 22 and 28 degrees here and it's been dry and it's been dry and it's been sunny. Um, uh, the forecast for the day of the race at the moment, um, 12 degrees and raining all day. Oh, right. Right up until the day you're doing it, the weather's going to be drastically different. Yeah. If the weather's anything to believe. Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly that. So it, so this is where it's coming to my race plan. So because of the weather, I've got numerous different clothes packed. I've got them separated into different bags so that depending what it's doing on the day, I don't have to sort through those bags. I just go, right, it's this day. It's this kind of weather. That's that bag. I'm ready to go. Then there's things like, um, um, this kind of comes into the next category as well on the race pan, which is equipment. The, so things like the lubrication on the chain of my bike. Um, you have dry lube and you have wet lube. It's looking like it's going to be wet. I set my bike up at the beginning of the week for the race. I use dry lube. So what I'll probably do today is strip that off and put wet lube on because it is looking like it's going to rain. But I'll take both with me so that in transition, if it is looking different, go go with the other lube over the top of the other one. It's not the best idea in the world, but it'll be better than having the wrong lube on there entirely. So that would delay your transition time? No, I mean set that up in the morning before the race. Yeah, in transition in the race. Yeah. Uh, moving on from that. Sorry, what about like tyres? Is there anything else in the bike? So I would run a slightly lower tyre pressure uh, if it was going to be rain. Offers up slightly more grip. However, I have been at a race before where people don't do that. People clearly don't do that in training or anything. I do. If the weather's looking not so good outside, then I will run a lower tyre pressure, higher tyre pressure, depending on what the weather's doing. So I know that. I know what I'm comfortable with. I went to a race... Um, and people saw other people doing that and then all of a sudden everyone started to panic and was like oh has anyone got a pump I need to deflate some of my tyres this that and the other and you could just see that they, they, were, they were doing something that they hadn't practised before so that bike wasn't necessarily going to handle how they expected or they were going to be at least they've ridden their bike with higher tyre pressures in the rain before they know how, how it reacts they're going to go at the speed, which is safe for them, round a corner. Whereas they might put too much faith in the fact that they've just removed some pressure from their tyres if they've not they've not experienced that before, or who knows what. But yeah, just don't go doing stuff in transition the morning of the race that you've never tried before. That seems like sta- standard secret runner advice. <laughs> don't, don't do stuff you haven't done in training. Exactly. I mean, it is. It's absolutely gospel, to be honest. There, I mean, there's other sorts of equipment, obviously, depending on, um, you might want to wear warmer clothes or wet waterproof clothes, all, all of that. That's all equipment, isn't it? Um, shoes wise, I can't imagine that would make too much difference. You're probably going to run. Yeah, you're probably going to run in the same shoes regardless. And then you also want to plan out your race morning routine. So whether, so what time you're going to wake up, when you're going to eat your breakfast, what you're going to eat. When you say for me, when am I? Go, when do I want to be in transition, setting up my bike, that sort of thing. So for you, it's going to be similar. You're going to decide what time you want to be parked up, what time you want to start your warm up, what time you want to finish your warm up by, what time you want to be getting into the the starting pen, and then onto the race itself. Race nutrition, obviously. Hopefully, you should have that planned out by this point. 
For me, transitions go over exactly what I intend to do in transition, and that includes the entry and the exit of the transition itself. So just describe for our listeners what your transitions look like. Yeah, so just basically rows and rows of bike of bike racks, and uh, all the bikes are racked up usually by the saddle, so they're hanging off, and there is a one-way system, a flow to the transition. Um, and the point of that flow is so that n- n- wherever your bike is, no one is running further or shorter than anyone else. So everyone ends up doing the same distance regardless. I hadn't thought of that. That's... Um, so that's the reason to the flow. So that means that if you get that wrong, you obviously, it's considered cutting the course be disqualified if you didn't if you didn't go back i was gonna ask uh, you know how is it um you know monitored and regulated in it but that seems to be like if you put a one-way system in there isn't i mean i suppose people would still cut people up or intentionally get in the way but they're only slowing themselves down i don't yeah i don't think people intentionally get in people's way but uh, inevitably you can get in each other's way um if you if you knock someone else's bike or knock it off or knock it in any way um, that's that might um, impact them um, that that too would be at least a penalty if not a disqualification as well right so you do have to be careful and there's all sorts of other rules there every race organizer and um, has sets up the transitions differently so some some will do it with a box box next to your bike and then so everything has to be in the box or on the bike already what do you mean by box? So like a container box. Just a plastic box and four and everything goes in that. Just to minimise things spreading. Yeah, so if anything gets left out, so say if I came back in from my um, came in from my first transition and went out on my bike and left a shoe on the floor outside of my box, then that would probably be a disqualification or a penalty. Oh, right. When you first said box, I thought you meant like a portly sized cabin and like everyone had to remove. Oh, no. Everything's in there. You step in that, like all that kind of thing. But I see. Because your transition, I mean, there's different transitions, obviously. Swim to swim to run. Do you just pull your wetsuit off, fling it on a hook and run off? So for me, race plan, in as I come out of the swim for transition, is 100 metres or so before the finish, I start... Um, saying a mantra in my head of goggles hat uh velcro zip goggles hat velcro zip goggles hat velcro zip so i come out lift my goggles up take my hat in one hand and take that off of my head so as i do that the goggles are You're grabbing the goggles uh, are in my yeah are inside the hat and then the Velcro on the back of my wetsuit with the other hand, unzip it, and then pull down um, my right shoulder where I'm holding my goggles and my hat. And then as you pull that shoulder down and the, and the uh, arm goes inside out, I release my hand so that the goggles and the hat get trapped inside that arm. I love all this level of detail and planning. And then, then the re- and then the other arm, and so then that goes down to my waist. So then, at that point, I'm free to run as fast as I can manage. At that point, three transition, hands free, wetsuit already half off, and, and then I'm just thinking about the flow of transition and where my bike is. Get to my bike, 
wetsuit comes off entirely so down stamp on it stamp on the legs to try and get it off over the heels because it's tough um, and then that would go into the box if that's what there is race belt number on if there's a race belt um, helmet on take the bike off I go so hand a sec where are your shoes on my bike already attached already attached on my bike right, okay um, and then I have like elastic bands which I attach them to the frame with so that once I get past the dismount line, uh, once I get past the mount line, I can mount the bike and stick my feet in the shoes and then the elastic bands just snap off. It's littering. It is, yeah. I don't actually know what the rules are around that. Everyone does it and, everyone, and it isn't allowed, everyone's allowed to do it. But I bet that's someone's job at the end is to go, go to the mount line and pick up all the elastic bands. Actually, I've just figured it out, to be honest, because there's, there's litter zones, so I guess that's a designated litter zone, to be honest. So knowing the layout of the transition area is, like, super important, so you know exactly, you want to know the exact position, like, by sight, so you can just run straight to it. Yeah, and it's what's often good to do is to find some sort of um, landmark outside of the transition, um, so that when you're running into transition, it's much easier to see that landmark, start running towards that, then narrow it down to find your row number. And you're not allowed to mark your area in any way. What I used to do, actually, um, which is not allowed anymore, is I used to have a red towel because the, the eye picks out the colour red fastest. Um, I used to lay out a red towel on the floor with all my stuff on it, but you're not even allowed to do that anymore. Can you have a bright red saddle or something like that? You could, yeah, yeah, you could. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it's all going to be a production saddle so if, if people wanted to do that everyone could do that but i haven't seen people do that to be honest people are too cared about aesthetics on their bike they wouldn't want to have a nice like stealthy black bike and then a bright red saddle okay no, that's that's insane i'm just trying to think so just for a run there's no transition um and one thing i was thinking though is after the race do you have like marshals like ushering you through like making sure you keep moving or are you all completely on your own what what once you've finished no like during the transitions like helping guide people people that are starting to flag there they'll there'll be people there'll be officials in transition but they're they're referees so they're not there to help right. or guide um they're... so no one's saying keep going that like hurry up that kind of stuff they're just no, quietly no. making sure you're not cheating yeah yeah make right, sure okay. all the rules are rules are being followed it's not even necessarily cheating it's about, um, yeah, fair play and um, a lot of it is to do with um, the dignity of the sport. Right, okay. uh, the only thing there is, is that I would say similar to that, is is at the end, they, they obviously do move you on. You don't really have to do anything yourself. They'll be there to pick you up or help you. They'll usually come to you with drinks and get you medical attention if you need it. But they'll take off your timing chip and everything for you. Whereas now in COVID times, that's one of the protocols. So it's going to be weird finishing the race and then making sure I have to take my own timing chip off and give it to them and things like that. Right, okay. And then, but you, you go through that finishing shoot. You might see, like, have a quick chat to the person who comes in just ahead or just, or just behind you. Um, but then you move into the athletes lounge and then that's more the area where you can relax and uh, do as you please. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're they're a tough they're a tough thing because the athletes lounges they're the they're the sorts of places that you would love to stick around in because of they've got 
all this food and they've got I've been to ones where they've got numerous jacuzzis all set up and stuff like that but at the same time what's the first thing you want to do when you finish a race you want to go and see your friends and family so they're not allowed in the athletes lounge no 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 so um it's it's like striking a fine balance between sort of like getting what you need and want from that area but then at the same time you're fighting this urge of just wanting to get out and see your friends and family i remember watching you um when you won the the european sprint duathlon title and you yeah. crossed the line and i think we found out almost immediately afterwards because you would have been the first one across in your age group and then you yeah. like you were bent over and then you went up in the air and arms up and obviously really chuffed and then you disappeared you've gone <laughs> that was a completely involuntary reaction i remember that yeah yeah it was great but it was sad that um all there to support you and it's really lovely to see you through it but then that in that exact moment you are isolated from all of your, your friends yeah. and family, although you're obviously around your peers. Yeah, it is strange. I remember, I suppose I've got to say a special shout out to one specific uh, volunteer at Ironman Zurich who wasn't meant to let, not meant to let any spectators through into this area. And I'd finished the race and I'd, I felt all right by that point, but I'd, had, I'd been pretty shaky earlier on in the run. And um, I think my wife was a bit worried about me. Anyways, she kind of explained to this volunteer and I think she could see, he could see that um, she was a bit uh, maybe concerned for me and he let her in to come and see me. And at that point I was having like my blood levels taken and stuff like that. So um, it kind of, that was really nice for me because I knew it kind of was nice for her. So thanks to that volunteer. I'll recap and finish off. So creating a race plan. We've done race goal, plan B goal, travel, weather, equipment, race morning routine, food and nutrition, race uh, race nutrition, um, transitions, pacing. Everyone knows what pacing is. Figure out what you want your pacing to be. Course management, um, then your mindset, and then the one that I've spoken about before in the past, planning for the unexpected the way you think and talk to me it can't all go wrong there'll always be something positive to get out of it even if it doesn't go as well as you want it can't all be wrong yeah yeah because uh, again as important as this race is to me this weekend um uh if it all goes wrong then it'll be a good point for me to look at my training because i feel like my training's been good and it will be similar to the training that i intend to do for kona next year so if it doesn't go well then I need to look into that and hopefully this race will give me some answers about maybe what didn't go so well in training. Um, and then I can adapt that to mitigate against it in the future. So Secret Runner, this week's question from the audience is far less technical. But Steve from Bristol again has asked, have you heard of Norseman, the race? <laughs> um, I have. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have heard of the Norseman. It's um, it's a relatively well-known triathlon. Man, yeah, it's awesome. I, it's absolutely on my bucket list. I would love to do it. It's, um, it's tough to get into. There's two ways of getting into it. There's a lottery system. 
And then you can also take part in the X-Try World Series. Um, so they have a series that if you I think if you win or if you finish in a certain spot at one of their other races, then you get a qualification spot for the Norseman, which is seen as like the World Championships of the X-Try World Series. So when talking about it, I'd not heard of it, but he was saying that, like you said, it's a bit of a, you know, like a bucket list item. Lots of people want to do it. But what is it that makes this? Is it a triathlon? Yeah. But what makes it so special? It's so uh, it's Ironman distance. So it's Iron distance. Uh, so it's like three point eight k swim, hundred and eighty k bike, and a marathon to finish. But the swim takes pay- place in a fjord in Norway. So it all takes place in Norway. It takes place right. in a fjord. Um, that starts very early in the morning in the dark. And to start the race, you have to jump, you know, like those carport ferries. Yeah. Yeah. You start by jumping off the back of one of them. Oh, right. Because it's out in the middle of the fjord and then you have to swim back to the shore. Oh, wow. That's cool. Um, oh, well, that's uh, insane. That would be cold as well. It's cold, obviously. Yeah, it's really cold. So there's one of the first extremities, if you like. And so then onto the bike, um, there's not too many differences to a normal Ironman bike apart from the fact of the elevation. So the total elevation for the whole course in the Norseman is 5,000 metres of vertical climbing. That's that's like a mountain. What's Everest? Just doing some Googling. (laughs) Eight and a half, no, nearly 9,000 metres. Really? Oh, so it's over, over half then. So, yeah, the bike is super um, hilly or mountainous. And then the run is a marathon, but it is literally from the bottom of a mountain to the top of the mountain. Oh, right. That's insane. Yeah, and you can see, because the finish line is literally, <laughs> it doesn't look like much. Like, as in most race finishes, they have, like, big finish gantries and corridors and big signage and stuff it's like a platform on the top it of is it. yeah it's literally just like a little bit of space on the top of a mountain with a with a banner the terrain looks horrible yeah i mean like. it's a mountain it's a mountain so it's all rocky terrain and so the the whole of the extra is not just the norseman it's the whole of the extra series so you have like the keltman which is the one in scotland i think uh you've got um the swiss man so one over here um, right. And now I know a bit about the Swiss man. I've been eyeing that up and I'd like to do it. Um, again, it's it's a swim in a lake. Um, then the bike is goes over some crazy mountain passes that they've got here that are even cobblestone climbs as well. So, Oh, well, so you think one day you'll do the, what, the series or just one of them? I'd, I mean, I start with one of the series and see, I mean, you know me, I'd like to try and qualify for the Norseman. But the the thing is, is that the the commitment is um, is greater than just me because this is one of the other interesting things about the Norsemen and about the Xtri series is that you have a crew they right. they can help you out in transition. So scrap everything that we just talked about in transition. You you have a crew member that's allowed to help you get out of your suit, try and help warm you up. Oh, because you'll be frozen. And then they can help you get all dressed and ready for the bike and then send you off on the bike. And then they can follow you on the bike course. On the on the road right behind you? Yeah, sort of. I, think, I think that's right. Or it might be at certain points that they can meet you. But they can definitely be out on the course in a car 
and because of again being Norway and places like that the temperature could be can really fluctuate depending on the um, mountain passes like how, how cold it is at the top of the mountain then coming down a mountain so you want to make sure that you've got the right clothes on beyond that the final run is the biggest difference because from the half marathon point one of your crew members is allowed to run with you so from the halfway point in the marathon that's right yeah for the last like 30 13 miles 21k you can have one of your crew members run with you wow. um, so there's numerous things there obviously they need to be able to run as fast as you um but it's yeah, no, I was just thinking, I could do that, and then I was like, no. Oh, I, don't know, I don't know how slow I'd be running by that point. I've spoken to my wife about it, and she'd be one of the crew members, um, definitely. I'm in. But uh, You're in, yeah, and, and I've got someone else in mind as well. I've got a couple of other people in mind for, for the final run part who could keep me well-paced and stuff. Yeah, Norseman, good question, Steve. Why? You thinking about it, Steve? Give it a go. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening, and thank you, Secret Runner. Thanks, Pete, and thanks, as always, for joining us. Uh, Listen to the next episode to find out how our races have gone. Fingers crossed. Uh, So, in the meantime, head over to thesecretrunner.com to find our social media links for Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Please like and subscribe and do all of that stuff. We'd really appreciate it. So off you go, stay motivated and go share your secret. I'm about to speak. <laughs> <laughs>